Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And welcome to episode 120, where today I'm particularly excited about this episode, John. We're going to talk about a framework for how to th- how Christians can think about people who make you uncomfortable hmm. because they have a political view different than yours, a sexual orientation different than yours, a gender confusion different than yours, a uh, lifestyle a whatever people who make you nervous sure people uh who are not a natural fit to you they're not uh uh, in the groove aligned and i think that uh, we have two choices in this regard when it comes to us american christians we can treat them like american christians (laughs) treat people or we can treat them like jesus might treat them and so we're going to give you a framework of three um guiding principles and i think it's a game changer it is uh changing my thoughts so I think this is going to be fun, John. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I am too. And so uh, before that, it's story time, and you're up, brother. Uh, I'm up. I figured uh, that I would talk about, I believe I talked about how I got my first bass guitar. I think I told that story, but I'll recap that, and I'll talk about more about how I started playing guitar and uh, and kind of my road from there. And uh, just because I was thinking about it lately, I've been thinking about getting a banjo. And oh, so I've been thinking about my my man. instrumental path. Your grandfather's rolling over in his grave. I know right he told now. me he told me about that. But tell, what what would uh, Grandpa, Grandpa John, John say? Perfect pitch. He was. said, "Do you know the meaning of perfect pitch?" He said, "It's the sound a banjo makes when you throw it <laughs> in a dumpster." <laughs> well, he's not with us. Yes, he's not. So I, I'm, so I'm, I, I back feel at free. you, Grandpa. Yeah, I feel free to get one. You think that in heaven he actually got his himself enlightened, and he's maybe even I a fan of banjo. On the other side of eternity, he's seen the error of his ways. <laughs> um, so anyway, I got a uh, for my the day before my fifteenth birthday. My brother had a gift for me, Tim, and he wasn't going to be there the day of, so he wanted to give it to me then. But because of the because of what it was. I would have known what you guys were getting me the next day. So he gave me right. a, a guitar amp, and uh, and then you guys gave me, gave me my first guitar, a $75 uh, Dean uh, bass guitar from Guitar Center, yeah. which I had asked for. I pointed to it. We yeah, there. You, you chose the particular yeah. gift of choice. Not, not whining. I'm just telling, I'm telling yeah. people what, you know, yeah, what it was. What it was. And uh, so I can say, now I do think I've mentioned this part before because I remember saying this. I can say that I've played bass since I was 14, mm. but that is... You know, some misleading one day more than than since I was fifteen. Really, oh, got you there because it's the day before my fifteenth yeah. birthday. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> much later, because I played bass alone for a long time, never uh, learned from. I never had a, a formal teacher, except for some really uh, key people, namely uh, Michael Thompson, mm-hmm. who was at Evergreen for a long time. He uh, did worship there. Uh, uh, one of the best drummers I've still heard to this day. He's, I love Michael on the drums. He's great. And he can play almost anything. Yeah. And he, uh, so he came over a few times early when he moved here to uh, show me stuff that, because basically when I got a bass, I just wanted to learn. You you had a, a joke about me playing Smoke on the Water mm-hmm. early on, like every, every you know, everybody does. Everybody does. And of course, you couldn't play it without your tongue sticking out. Right. Some say I still can't. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to learn the music that I liked. And, and more or less, it went pretty well. Uh, that's where I got my, um, even at a young age, my philosophy that you could just, people if, with enough time and determination can do things like this, can pick up an instrument and play it. Yeah. Because We're I wouldn't agree say. agree disagree. But I that, know, that, I know. That's we, okay. We can quit going to this, going to this well. Yeah. But I learned. Take that dead horse. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, given enough time, you know, you can learn some pretty cool stuff. But without a teacher, it is what it is. So Michael Thompson taught me things like uh, really, really simple things, like just how a fretboard is laid out, mm-hmm. uh, how certain notes are related to certain notes. So like cool tricks, like on a standard tuned guitar, uh, a fret here will be the same note, two strings down and two frets higher than uh, than that. See, you've lost me already. Why I rest my case on it's, not everybody can do this. It's okay. It's and anyone who plays guitar is like you had to be taught that probably. <laughs> but yeah, I did, and it's really just just stuff like that. Sure. Really, really beginner stuff. Uh, and so then I started playing for the youth, and then uh, my the cousin, youths. the youths, yeah. yeah, 
And uh, I played, man, I played uh, every Wednesday and most Sundays for about two years. Whoa. Maybe a little longer than that. Because uh, at the time, Evergreen had like an 8 a.m. service, smaller service in the North. Oh, so you play over there. Yeah. And uh, so I got a little burnt out on that. And then really what's interesting about I love bass guitar, uh, but it is um, it's not performative very much. It's it's entertaining alone. You I don't a, see a lot of bass solos. Right. Exactly. It's it's important for an ensemble. And it's fun to play on your own. There's some really cool bass licks. There's really cool um, bass theory. There's just a lot of fun stuff you can do with it. But I was thinking, and this is funny because I didn't I didn't realize this at the time, but I hate playing in front of people anyways, mm-hmm. really. Especially on stage for worship, bass wasn't a big deal because, unfortunately, they only really notice you if you start messing up. But uh, also, you're, you're not singing. You're not playing a, one yeah. of the lead instruments. Uh, but so I was like, well, if I got a guitar... You know, I want something that I could theoretically, quote unquote, play around like a campfire. One, I'm not around campfires very often. <laughs> Two, I would never play in front of a camp- well, in front of a group of people at a campfire. I didn't realize these things at the time. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, my cousin Joseph was moving to uh, Indiana because he got a job that he still has at uh, Cummins. Yeah. Uh, very, very impressive. And he uh, just gave me his electric guitar. And that was good enough for me. Good yeah. enough to learn on. They yeah. say you should learn on acoustic first because the strings are much um firmer it's harder to play right, acoustic right um but uh it worked for me going backwards and uh so anyway i eventually got a guitar teacher at northwest for one semester as an elective oh and uh, that guy was awesome but really he was so chill that he just it, it was kind of like i showed up he says what do you want to learn today and i'd play him a song and he'd teach me how to play the song and then i would see him next time wow so he uh his thing was you get out what you put into it so if i didn't want to learn he, I wasn't doing, he would send me home with like scales, yeah. uh, uh, just like practices and, uh, and I wouldn't do them. So I think after the first couple of weeks, he's like, okay, I'm just going to roll with whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Here. So he's like, let's just have a good time. Um, and, uh, and I was committed with those. I did learn the things, you know, he, sure. I, I learned a lot from, from just those classes that I could have got more out of it. But, uh, anyway, then the great life changing event known as Lonesome Dove happened. And now I'm listening to some more Western stuff, and now I'm listening to some some uh, folk banjo music. And, and if you if nice. you missed those episodes, John became he read the book Lonesome Dove, which is an uh, an epic, an epic. I mean, Absolutely. how many pages was that? It's almost a thousand nine hundred nine thousand, or excuse me, nine hundred and sixty. Yeah, book. so it's an epic book. The show is epic, and uh, it has captured you. It changed you. So just in case you missed that episode, yeah. that's what he's referring to. I should give more context than that. Uh, a banjo, I'm I'm hoping some of my bass skills will help carry over because it is four, uh, it's five strings total. One of the, I think on most banjos, one of the, the lowest string ends halfway up the neck. So it's an interesting oh, little, really? little like half neck thing. So you have a lower tuner for the lower string and then four uh, tuners at the head of interesting. the neck. Interesting. I've so, never noticed that. Yeah. And, and maybe not all of them have it, but a lot of the ones I've seen uh, do. Anyway. How expensive is a banjo? I think low end is like four fifty. So, and do you see yourself sitting around a campfire playing a banjo for somebody? Nope, not except for my wife. So the only person who'll benefit from this is you and your woman. Your yeah, lady, your and lady she's friend. excited about it. She really? likes that kind of music. Yeah. Well, she what she I really plays want, the fiddle. She, she the plays two the of you fiddle. at home, man. You on the banjo, her on the fiddle, and nobody gets to enjoy this but the two of you. Yeah, it's kind of beautiful, isn't it? That is. She doesn't play as much at home. Because we're in an apartment, it doesn't want to annoy people. Right. I was just going about to say this. Made, this brought me to the thought that uh, you're about to close on your first house, and then you'll be able to sit in your backyard around a fire pit and play banjo and fiddle, and assume nobody's listening, even though your mm-hmm. neighbors will be enjoying the melodious harmonies from across the fence. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, and maybe if we have kids, we can have some kind of like White Jackson Five for, for, for uh, bluegrass music. <laughs> Yeah, so that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I love your love for music, and I love that you want to play more. I wish you would play in front of others. Your brother has the same deal. He's incredible, but he can't stand playing in front of others. Uh, he's and and he's good at it. Right. To be to be honest, he has a knack. Yeah, for it. He's good at it. Much. Yeah, he's very very good. All right, so let's dive in, John. We're going to talk about this uh, episode, and so uh, one of the things that is a challenge for Christians today. 
and maybe for people who are not Christians too, because you see, you know, we all call it the divided states of America right now. There's mm-hmm. so much division. Uh, vaccines, no vaccines, masks, no masks, um, but just a wider array of things about which we could be divided. Totally. And so I'm picking on Christians by saying that we don't do this well, but truth is almost nobody does this well. Right. Except we say we should do like this. Exactly. This is in our we professed. are called right. our faith. Our faith calls us to do this better. And so uh, we've talked about, and I've, wrestled with and i think people wrestle with what how should we react um for example the whole supreme court case about should the baker be required to make a cake for a gay wedding and this is somehow um you know a wrestle of their faith this baker felt like it was a compromise of their faith to provide a cake to celebrate a wedding of same-sex people so this became a culture, I mean, a, a faith tension. Well, and this was, so the guy, the, the woman who represented him to the Supreme Court actually spoke at, for our class at Northwest, our uh, uh, media law class. Yeah. He would have sold, he had pre-made cakes that he would have sold to them. Oh, so but, he did offer one of those. Yes, but he said he would not custom make a cake because he viewed it as his art. Art. And so the, the argument for, before the Supreme Court, the reason it won was because it was a compelled speech argument. It was, you can't make him... Affirm something he that doesn't he want to affirm. Exactly. Because he did not deny business to them. But still, I think that you would say that... The tension is the same. Right, right. A lot of us say, well, should I, you know, how do I relate to people who have a different view? Churches wrestle with, it seems like the only option for churches is either we put on the front page of our website how we feel about sexual things, uh-huh. or we are fully inclusive and affirm everything. There seems to be very little in between. We don't know how to walk this complicated zone. So consequently, Christians are being lumped in as judgmental, non-compassionate, more obsessed with our rules than anything else. Rules, by the way, that we're not challenged by because we don't have the same. We're not putting adultery on the front page of our website and for sure giving a public statement about how we feel about adultery because that's heterosexual sin. It doesn't bother us as much. You could go on and on and on. Well, and there's there's no societal pressure. People asking, well, how do you feel about adultery? Right. You know, but there is a lot of societal pressure on the like we don't have arguments about the rights of adulterers, but we have we do talk <laughs> about the rights of of homosexuals. That's a great and, point. Yeah. So uh, my point is not to get on a soapbox issue, a single issue, right. but uh, but more general guidelines on how we should approach such scenarios when we become when we are introduced to people who have a different view than us. When we engage with them, what should be the experience they have with us? And how can we think um, wisely and biblically about how to engage? And so uh, I have something here that's kind of the anti-answer. Okay. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I found this uh, today. This is, and I don't know if this is accurate. Somebody made this, a picture of John Wayne on there. It jumped out at me because there's a book that Sue's been listening to called Jesus and John Wayne. Mm -hmm. And I think the uh, premise of that book is that Christians really have embraced this John Wayne America kind of Christianity versus a biblical version. Yeah, pretty maybe more uh, individualistic, masculine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's uh, this says John Wayne, his five rules to life. Okay. Okay. Rule number one. From his own mouth. Well, supposedly. Okay. There's, there's a picture of him there. I don't have a video of him telling <laughs> these things. So somebody might have made this. but I bet you he wrote it. Either way, yeah. um, we're not going to hold John Wayne accountable for these five, but I want to use them as a, as a metaphor. Number one, money cannot buy happiness, but it is more comfortable to cry in a Mercedes than on a bicycle. <laughs> uh, number two, forgive your enemy, but remember that bastard's name. That sounds about right. Yeah. Number three, help someone when they're in trouble. And they'll remember you when they're in trouble again. That also sounds about right. Yeah. Number four, many people are alive only because it's illegal to shoot them. (laughs) And number five, alcohol does not solve any problems, but then again, neither does milk. Wow. So uh, what struck me when I saw that is that you could build a case that American Christianity sounds a whole lot more like John Wayne. We think intuitively we hear a lot of those who go yeah yeah and so we have ingrained in us Mm -hmm. 
these uh, this compass of independence, justice, um, uh, facts of life, principles yeah. that work. You know, we have these in us, and we don't understand really how deep they go. Yeah. And I think because they're so intuitive to us, we rarely understand how anti-biblical they are. Yeah, and I think like when you talk about uh, even non-verbalized values or or cultural ethics, so like it is it is a valuable ethical moral victory to be financially independent, right? So the person who depends on you that 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 third or fourth one, yeah. Um, you helping them is because they lost. They're a loser. So right. It's, so it's if you help the loser, the loser's going to come back again. That's kind of the yeah. that's the unspoken. And it's even code. this way. This is a lot. This is a language right now in social media is pretty hot. If you help a guy who refuses to pull himself up by his bootstraps, he will never pull himself up by his bootstraps. Right. And so there's a tension there. I had a friend in Montana. He said it this way: Poor people got poor ways. Mm. And it's a condescending way to look at that. And while these while these pithy statements carry some truth in a lot of stories, they don't make a very good framework for how to engage complicated issues like poverty and uh, sin issues and human frailty. And and, and re- I mean, to the root of it, it's just dehumanization. So so a poor person is a type of person right. that is it's really a thing. A thing. Discuss this thing. Exactly. Yeah. That's not like me because that's a poor person. <laughs> that's not a person who is poor. That's a poor person. Right. Right. So it, it's a it's very much uh, objectified. Um, yeah. 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 That's an interesting thing. So uh, what we're going to give you today and I'm super excited about this. And by the way, I do a little commercial here. Um, every episode we do a media review and it's my turn to do that. And so what I'm going to give you a little later in this episode is a tool that I've been using in my personal uh, daily prayer life that is phenomenally helping me. Okay. And so that's going to be the review. It's a particular thing. And so hang in for that. So if this conversation is boring you, maybe you'll hang in for that one. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, what happened, John, is in my in my practice of this new thing I'm doing. Uh, some passages of scripture came up in my reading and the meditative reflection on them led me to this, these aha moments. Okay. And you're famous for saying you can't give somebody else your aha moments. Famous. Yeah. With, with me, <laughs> you're famous with me for that. Okay. Uh, you, you know, me and, um, all seven of our listeners, yeah. you know, we, we really do embrace that counting both of our moms and wives. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, only your wife. Uh, but, uh, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to give you three principles from three scenes in Jesus' life to give us a framework for how to engage with people who are coming from a completely different space we do not understand, nor do we affirm. Totally. Okay. The first comes from Mark chapter 3, and there's a scene where Jesus is in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. It's on the Sabbath. And some Pharisees and Sadducees are there. Religious leaders are in the room. And there is a man there with a shriveled hand. I've always been curious about that. Yeah. That that specific ailment. Yeah. What, what, what's curious about well, I don't, I don't, Like I don't what see, it actually looked like? Yeah, I don't see shriveled hands going about my own town. You see tiny hands. The little rubber ones. <laughs> I don't think it looked like that. I don't know either. I've wondered if it was a crippled hand or if it was somehow a birth defect hand. Yeah. Was it uh, from a disease? I picture they have, there were there were frequent references to leprosy and skin right, diseases. Right, maybe it's something like that. So I tend to think of it as something like that. But, but he's got an issue in his hand. Probably socially easy. Oh, man, yeah. big deal. Yeah. Uh, inability to provide in an agrarian world. How do you get work with one hand? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a life issue, and so um, these Pharisees are sitting there going, "Ah, oh, let's see what'll happen. Let's see what goes on here. What's 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 the big JC going to do right here? Yeah, <laughs> because uh, if he heals this cat, we got him. Because well, it's the Sabbath. Yes, you can't you can't work on the Sabbath. Yeah, and since healing is Jesus' work, or to fix this man would be work. So they're they're like, let's see what he chooses. Yeah. Jesus, of course, being Jesus, knows what they're thinking. 
And so he's going to make a big deal out of this. Yeah. So he, um, he heals the guy. And what's fascinating to me is their response to this healing. And he says, would you, if you had an ox in the ditch, would you leave that ox in the ditch till Sunday? Yeah. You really going to leave that ox in the ditch on, on the Sabbath? Um, if you have somebody stuck, are you really going to leave them there? He's just pointing out the stupidity of their view. Yeah. And their response to this is they decide now we've got to kill him. Man. The next line as they walk away is we're going to plot to kill this guy. Well, and the, you know, we don't have a full account of their thoughts in the, in the gospels, but they're, they don't consider the man. Like, again, we talk about dehumanization. Their first thought is this guy's an object. We can get, we can get Jesus with this guy. Yeah. So it's crazy to think that they don't even, their consideration of the miraculous healing power of Jesus doesn't enter into play. Mm -hmm. They don't wonder, wonder how he's doing this. They might have considered he was some kind of demon spawn or something, but it's, it's bizarre. The, it, the, it, the, the, the whole thing's bizarre, but yeah. what we realize is that's us. Mm. So uh, I, as a pastor, I feel people watching me saying, what's How's he going to, what's he going to do with this gay guy? Yeah. Is he going to love him? Is he going to, is he going to portray acceptance of him or is he going to let him know your lifestyle is unacceptable? Hmm. I feel that all the time. Really? Yes. So principle number one is that human pain overrules religious rules or trumps religious rules. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, I don't mean overrules religious, religious rules supersede. Yes. Human pain supersedes religious rules. The Sabbath was a real deal. Jesus really tried to help everybody get their arms around what the Sabbath was really all about. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother conversation. The Sabbath is not meaningless is my point. Right. But what supersedes that is human pain. Human pain comes first. What's your first reaction to this uh, principle? Well, I mean, in this particular, you know, the Sabbath has some, um, I forget the word I'm looking for, but it has some peculiarities as far as the law goes. It's a, it's a, it's a, more, a kind of unique thing. But, you know, his, what he says is the uh, Sabbath was, the man, man was not made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. Right. So. So letting um, suffering go on or letting um, he's prioritizing. He's saying man comes before this yeah, law. This, yeah. So when you, again, talk about dehumanization, you're dehumanizing people in, in adherence to the law, really unto yourself. This was about Which the, the Pharisees law was holiness. made for this guy. Right. So the Pharisees are saying, well, my perceived holiness from without mm-hmm. is more important than, than the care pain. of these mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is clearly saying that the priorities there are inverse in the actual kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the pain of a person would supersede um, religious Now, this is really important, John. Yeah, I think you did a great job there because the weight of that just sat on my chest. I think we need to let this breathe for a second. You said, my perceived righteousness is more important than his pain. Mm -hmm. And are there other scenarios that come to your mind where that's the temptation for Christians um, where my perceived position on a thing is more important than the person who's suffering in the middle of that thing. It's hard to, I'm struggling to think of other examples when it comes to pain, but the, um, the value of appearances is always apparent. Even growing up in the church, I would sometimes be called to uh, like an altar call mm-hmm. at the end of a service. Mm-hmm. And I would think I would stifle myself to think, well, what do people think of me? I've been here for so long. They're going to say, I thought he was already a Christian. Right. He's been here for years. What's he yeah. doing? Going to, the, you know, so things like that come to mind, but I'm having, a, I'm also having a hard time thinking of examples with the, well, uh, I think of, pain. I think of homelessness. Uh-huh. People are so mad at these tent cities in our town. It's mm. a big problem. Defecating on the street, feeling unsafe, needles on playgrounds, there are lots of issues and all of these issues are truly born out of human depravity and pain. Yeah. But we're more stuck on how we want our world to be. And that comes in front of compassion or sympathy or whatever human. Right. Pain. Right. It comes before the actual, it's people. such an intuitive human impulse. So I am not pointing fingers at people. I'm pointing fingers at myself and mm-hmm. saying that we as human beings much prefer our comfort zones and when our comfort zones are uncomfortable or taken away or threatened, 
the first impulse for us is to judge the one who's making us uncomfortable right? rather than understand the pain or the complexity or the depravity of the person making us well, uncomfortable. Homelessness is a, is a, a great um, example of this because if you look at when I was uh, writing for the Bellevue Reporter for uh, an internship, it was that they were thinking about putting this homeless center in Bellevue. And it was a huge deal. Oh, yeah. Not in my neighborhood. Exactly. Not my, you don't want to bring them to this neighborhood. They call it uh, Nimbak, not in my backyard or something. Okay. Nimbia or something. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, and it was also, the, the bigger contention was it was, a, it was a um, safe injection site, quote unquote. So it was, oh, it was yeah. one of those where they yeah. monitor. And, they can and, come and do drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but anyway, the point, the victory as far as this, as far as many people are concerned, and I identify with them because it is very frustrating to go around our own hometown and Mm -hmm. it's you know it's changed but the victory for them was the homelessness aren't here the homeless people aren't here anymore it's not that they're cared for that's not necessarily part of the issue they're just not in my town well and as i've engaged in the homeless crisis here over the over the years the 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 truth is what many of us want is for these people just to go back into the woods right because we weren't feeling the pain when they were in the woods and now it's in front of our now faces. Now it's in the street. I can't get away from it. And, yeah. it. and it ruins my day. It makes it uncomfortable. It threatens me. Um, and and if, it, if it did just go back in the woods, most of us would stop being concerned about homelessness. Yeah. So that's a confession on our part. And this is human depravity. This is our problem. So framework number one, biblically, human pain precedes, supersedes religious rules. Mm-hmm. So instead of leading with your religious rule, or your principle of pulling up by your bootstraps, or even your principle of personal responsibility. Before that comes human pain. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say or talk about that? Uh, just on a, a hands-on thing. I know we're we're talking about mostly um, uh, outreach or or connection. No, most of us cannot on command heal somebody of physical ailments mm-hmm. through the, through the spirit, the right. way Jesus could. Right. Um, so I was wondering on, on a physical level, on a daily, daily level, what does that look like mm-hmm. as far as not letting religious, um, uh, that looks rules? to me, that looks like a friend of yours saying, I'm not sure I'm the gender I was born mm. and you're not sure what to do now with that friendship. Right. Or someone who leaves a woman who divorces her husband to move in with her girlfriend. And now, do we stay friends with her? Do we, what happens here? Gotcha. Uh, These dilemmas come up a lot. Um, Someone, uh, a married friend of yours, is having an affair. You know it. Their spouse doesn't know it. What do I do with that? Or then they leave their spouse to marry the person they had an affair with. Mm -hmm. Do I go to that wedding? Do I affirm this? Do I crush the one they left? These are real challenges. Sure. And it's easier for us to build a wall of principles, religious principles, than it is to get down into the pain. With the actual specific people right. involved. Right. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. Principle number two is that uh, compassion, human pain, let's do it this way, mm-hmm. human pain precedes correction. Okay. Uh, instruction, correction, training, or rebuke. Pain comes first. Right. And this is John chapter eight. This uh, woman is caught in the act of adultery, which is always fascinating to me to just get behind the imagination of how did that happen? Right. Uh, these Pharisees looking through somebody's window, they followed her, you know, they've done some, they've done some really sketch uh, private detective work again to try and get Jesus into a, yes. Into and they scenario. don't bring the dude, which in the, in the law they're referring to, the dude also would be stoned. Yeah. They leave the dude alone. It's almost like maybe they set the chick up to get to Jesus. Who knows? Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, uh, nefarious. Oh yeah. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they drag this woman out in this public space to Jesus. We caught this woman in the act of adultery that Moses said to stoner. What do you say? Uh huh. And uh, Jesus, first of all, throws his body in front of the execution. Let him without sin cast the first stone. So he starts writing in the ground. I would love to know what it is he's writing in the ground. I was thinking about this the other day uh, when I was meditating on these passages. Yeah. Is he writing down some of the commandments they've broken? Oh, yeah. Is he writing down the names of people that they have fooled around with? 
Whatever he's doing, he's doing something in the dirt that makes them start rethinking their approach. Yeah, and the old men first. Yeah, they, starting with the oldest, they drop their rocks and go home. I like to think it's because they're a little wiser than the young ones. Yeah. That they, they realize what's going on before the other, the other ones do. Yeah, they're like, don't. Yeah. <laughs> Homer Simpson moment. Maybe their lists are longer. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but when he looks up, they're all gone. And he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Are there none who accuse you? And she said, no, there are none. He said, neither do I. Yeah. So uh, I know that in today's world, when we approach sin issues, leading with compassion, people will say you're weak on truth. Oh, interesting. Um, I see what you're saying. Christians will say, yeah. you can't lead with love. You got to lead with correction. Right. You're, you're watering down. The, hey, chick, you, the... you were sleeping with somebody else's husband. Yeah. What are you doing? You know, lead with that. That is our impulse. That's what we feel. That feels right. That feels uh, standing for principles and truth. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't do that. He leads with, neither do I condemn you. Yeah. And he finishes with, go and sin no more. That's the last thing he says to us. So he does get to, don't do this. This is not a life you want. This is not what God has made you for. But he leads with protecting the punishment, protecting her from punishment. Which is so Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will someone die for a righteous man. And for a good man, someone might dare to die. But he showed his love for us in this, that while we were still in our sin, he died for us. Yeah. So uh, principle one is that human pain comes before religious rules. Principle two, human pain comes before correction or rebuke. Mm Mm-hmm. So he didn't come into this. I imagine it uh, very spatially. I imagine it, uh, the girl, the, the woman, either on one end or in the middle of a, of a crowd, and they're all facing her, mm-hmm. kind of like a circle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Jesus is in the middle with the woman. With her, yeah. So, so it's spatial like that. It's it's he. That's he, how I picture it as well. Right, crosses over. And uh, the, so he didn't start on the outside saying, you got to change, mm-hmm. and then come to the inside. Mm-hmm. And really, the uh, the miracle of being saved as a sinner is truly the most unique thing about our faith. I think when you compare it to other other faiths of the every of the world. other religion in the world says you got you've got to your good deeds have to outnumber your bad deeds. You've yeah. got to earn your way into this thing. And normally, I think what I've heard the the watering down the truth is is uh, that totally makes sense that people would say that. What I've heard is the the um. The repentance means turning away. Mm-hmm. So, right, so well, to really repent, you have to stop doing that. And you think of se- a sequence, probably just because we're humans, our sequence goes repentance, grace, forgiveness. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's sequential yeah. like that. Um, when really that's not the way. And that's super tough because, again, you think of these ex- examples of people uh, living in sin. Uh, and it's especially difficult when they are professing Christians. Mm-hmm. And so this woman, uh, you know, there's there's different rules, at least in the New Testament, the early church letters, there's different rules about dealing with someone within the faith as opposed to without uh, out of the faith. Right. But uh, here this woman is not, would not be, quote unquote, in the faith, if you were to put it in our scenario. Yeah, she's Jewish, so for yeah. them, uh, okay. you know, this is this is a Jewish woman breaking the Jewish law. Gotcha. So um, that's, a, that's a very good distinction, though, John, because in the New Testament, we are talked to, we are told about people who profess to be Christians who are denying their faith by their lifestyle. Yeah. And that, that, that requires us as brothers and sisters to seek their, their, uh, not their judgment, but to seek their correction for their own redemption. So, uh, that's a great point. If someone is, uh, an adulterous woman teaching marriage classes to young women, Oh, sure. You know, you got a, you got a height of hypocrisy there, right? that that merits a response um but never are we called to intercede behavior wise with someone who doesn't even know jesus exactly that's really where my brain was on this whole conversation is how we approach people in the world right um but you make a great point about well does this change if they're in the church you know we're told in the new testament not to judge people outside the church but we are to judge them inside that we are to provoke one another to love and good deeds so to come along this person and go hey man you need to face this. This isn't this isn't honoring God. This is disobedient to him. Sure. You're a part of our family. Let's talk this through. Yeah. Um 
which very few people do that either. But that's yeah, that's equally tricky when it's relational for me. It's 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 maybe harder uh, just because you you know the person. There's a lot of a lot of strings attached there, but um, but really. But even just logically, it doesn't make sense to police the behavior of people who don't know God. It should be, if you're going priorities again, the priority would be get them to Jesus and let them kind of let him work the the miracle that that happens yeah. there anyways. Well, so far, what I see in these first two principles is Jesus demonstrating my job is to love you and help you find your way to healing. Uh, your job is to get your life together and follow God. Hmm. But that, but you doing that is not my job. So Jesus is really comfortable saying to this woman, nothing more than go and sin no more. Right. I mean, we would want to say, well, what's your three-step plan to repentance? Right. What classes and, are you going to take? Yeah, what and, are you going to do now to fix the marriage that you're screwing up? And, you know, we want more, and yeah. which, which feels like we're wanting more control. We ought to see to it that they really do repent. And he's incredibly comfortable giving you the truth and letting you do with it whatever you choose. Yeah. Uh, that is a pretty powerful thing all by itself. Absolutely. Let's, let's get to this third principle because I want to finish all three of these and then we'll do my little segment and okay, uh, and and do that. Is that okay yeah, with you? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the third one comes out of Mark chapter two and it's these this these four friends these four guys who have a buddy who's paralyzed, right? And they want to get him to Jesus and they go to this house and the house is packed. Jesus is in the living room speaking. Everybody, the house is full. People are lining the windows, the doors. People are outside the doors. There's just no way to get this crippled guy in there. Yeah. Which is interesting as I imagine the scenario. I can see these guys starting with, hey, hey, let us get through here. We want, right, we want with Jesus their friend, to see our friend. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, come on, come on. And people are going, no, man, I got here first, you know. Yeah. So they climb on the roof. They cut a hole in this guy's roof. And they lower their friend in front of Jesus. And it says in Mark 2, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to their friend, not you're healed. Right. He said to their friend, your sins are forgiven. This is astounding. It astounded the Pharisees right there. They're like, whoa, whoa. Now, first, they're like, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. So who do you think you are? Yeah. Um, but also, the guy didn't repent. He didn't, you know, we don't know anything about this guy's belief system. Right. The only thing that's, that spurred the forgiveness was the friend's was faith. Compa- was the faith of the friends. Yeah. And so the third principle is our faith can bring dramatic change to people in pain and sin. Yeah. And what strikes me about this is we're doing the exact opposite. So instead of pain trumping religious rules, we put religious rules in front of human pain. Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, pain preceding correction, we put correction in front of thinking about your pain. Right. Fix your behavior, and then I'll step into your yes, life. Yes, I'll be kind to you once you get your act together. Yeah, yeah. And then instead of offering my faith to the, to the person in pain and in sin and whatever they're in, confusion, depravity, my faith could change them. But instead, I offer them judgment and a barrier. Yeah. This blows my mind. Because the truth, I believe deeply in me that the truth Jesus is telling us in this Mark 2 scene is that we really do. If we brought our faith to gender confusion, if we brought our faith to people who are choosing lifestyles different than ours, if we brought our love and faith to the people who are navigating their lives, uh, we actually could bring the redeeming power of Jesus into their life. Yeah. Through our love and faith. But instead, we bring judgment and criticism and rules and not faith. We bring rejection. Yeah. And then we wonder why they're not changing. Right. <laughs> when the <laughs> these, element, these the stubborn people outside of the church, yeah, not coming to church. Yeah. Yeah. And the supernatural ingredient of their transformation is in our hands. Yeah. And we're not offering it. What's I just... This makes me think of, because the topic of faith, I always go back to James, the the faith that that's where the, if you were to wonder, well, what is this in the first place? He really, really gets into it. And what I just realized was, um, I talked recently about, uh, intellectual believing something or understanding something and then internally yeah. understanding it for these guys to, to do this, to climb onto someone's roof, cut a hole in it and lower their friend on ropes. They 
truly believed that his salvation was in that room. Mm-hmm. If they, if it's it's the wheelbarrow thing, the guy going across the right, waterfall. Right. Uh, can I go across this rope without falling? Tight in? rope. Yeah. Do you believe I can do it? Yeah. We yeah. believe. Then who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? These guys would get in the wheelbarrow. Yeah. So they, if if surveyed, they wouldn't have just said, "Yeah, Jesus, that guy could heal my friend." They believed it enough. To I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my friend in front of him. So that's both a statement to their genuine faith and their love for their friend. They're yeah. not there to lower themselves down there and get healing for right. themselves. They just care that much about this guy. So both of these things are the genuine article, and and we there's a precedent for Jesus seeing faith and and distributing uh, healing mm-hmm. and and forgiveness. That's that's generally it, it sounds more um, business like than it is in reality, right? Transactional, yeah. but it's not not like that. But that's that's generally how it goes. He says your faith has made you well. You know, there's there's that relationship already. Be it done to you according to your faith. Mm-hmm. So uh, one, it makes me think. I don't know if I have faith like those guys. So so that's a little convicting to begin with. Uh, but then the fact that it goes with that love, and we see talk about uh, patterns of of the nature of God. We see faith, uh, um, or the what's the word? Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but with with the priesthood, they would intercede. Mm. We see intercession as a model of God and and forgiveness and righteousness. We see uh, Job being told by God to pray for his friends and intercede for them. Yeah, uh, the priesthood interceded for the people of uh, Israel. Jesus intercedes Jesus for us intercedes continually for us right now. Yeah, and so the model of intercession, I think, is just how God made creation. I think we in part intercede along for, for people, yeah, when people you think alongside of, Jesus. When you think of just even the etymology of the word intercession, you can find the word intersect. Yeah. So so uh, our job as I intercede for you is to intersect myself into your life. For sure. And actually mediate between you and God. To actually stand between you and God and advocate for you. Yeah. Intersect implies intimacy. Yeah. Like automatically. Yeah. You can't, you couldn't theoretically intercede for somebody who you are not um, personally knowledgeable of or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know, in, intimately knowledgeable of. Mm-hmm. So there's that relational, like we would like to say, well, I'll intercede for them from my, from my, the my, safety of my own couch. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go to Capitol Hill. I'll pray for them from, yeah. you know, my, my house. Um, but there implies a, uh, uh, relationship yeah. there. Yeah. This is really, I don't know if this is doing anything to you. It's so convicting to me and it's clarifying because yeah. in this cultural moment, I think Christians and churches really don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. How do we engage in a world that seems to be obsessed with gender fluidity? How do we engage in a world that's obsessed with some of these things that we just, that, that rock us? And the truth is, we're all people. We are all people who have various degrees of depravity, confusion, belief, uh, identity, etc. And the call of Jesus is to intercede their stories, leading with love, covering their pain, advocating for them rather than judging them and advocating their condemnation. Yeah. Uh, and being the source, the faith source of their miracle. And I feel, I feel compelled to give my big takeaway. Are you all right with that? I am. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this to me, I think the root of all of this, especially when, when in the beginning, when we talk about, and when I feel like when we, I feel like I should say, when we talk about religion, especially with phase one, mm-hmm. we were saying that pain trumps religion. We're talking about cultural stifling soulless rules. We're not talking about the actual, uh, commands of God. This is. Um, you know, our, like we said, our perceived righteousness or, or our little walls that we put up right. around righteousness are more important. So when we say religion, that's generally what we talk about. Um, but all three of these things transcend whatever kind of tribalism or, uh, or jerseys or mm. lines that we draw between everybody. So the things that would dehumanize to the extent of the examples in uh, one and two particularly because the third one is more um, proactive than it is mm-hmm. con- like, like no one's really being condemned in the third example, but in the first two with the the Pharisees and the man with the hand and the woman at the well, now, not woman at the well, woman, caught oh, in excuse adultery. me. Yeah, yeah. Woman caught in adultery. The, uh, I think what's at play there is what happens with us. So like when we're so obsessed with gender fluidity, it's because we have teens, we have us and them mm-hmm. and, uh, and with anything with politics, with, uh, your stance on healthcare, mm-hmm. anything. 
there's so many lines that get drawn. And so that all is, I think, in truth, an illusion. None of those things are actual barriers between you and anybody else. And you shouldn't let them be, really, Mm -hmm. is, is I think what the truth of this is, is, you know, it's said a dozen times, who is our enemy really? It's not flesh and blood. No right. human on earth could truthfully be called your enemy. Yeah. I, I love the, I love yeah. the, the, there is no us and them. There's mm-hmm. only us and him. Yeah, exactly. And another one I, I love is there is no us and them. And anybody who tells you there is run away from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. But even that would be, you know, that's more of a joke because even that's a, that's an right. illusion. Um, so all of this is, I use the word transcendence. It's, I imagine like, you know, the matrix yeah. that was kind of big in, in Christian circles at the time. Cause yeah. it was kind of like, Oh, this is a, this could be an analogy for, for, uh, um, getting saved. But, um, I, I really do kind of view it like that. You, you like you're, you're just wrapped up in the, um, the games, right? Yeah. The political games, the, the, um, identity games and you can really none of all, all of it is the i want to say fluff i feel like there's a better word for it than that but none of it has real weight when yeah. it comes to actual people yeah i don't know I, that, my my general takeaway is i guess a little too broad but that's that's really what it makes me this whole thing to me is that mm-hmm. truth of of getting down to actual um that's what real love is is breaking through the the games right that's my takeaway from it is if my motivation is love for myself, which is almost always the case, right? I like to put up walls and keep things separated and clean. And if my motivation and love, if my if my impulse is love for others, love does no harm. So I would not respond to that person in a way that increases their harm. I would look for a way to be a bridge and a source of life and love to them. Um, big, big, big challenge. Absolutely. All right. We're, we're going to stop here just for a second. I want to tell you when we come back, I'm going to give you, if you, if you're looking for a way for your Bible study, prayer life to, to go to another level, I have a simple gift for you that you're going to really love. That's next. We'll be right back. Awesome. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, we're back. Um... I know these are father and son conversations. It feels like today I've done almost all the talking, John. So I apologize for that. No, I, but uh, I I have a good time with these episodes. I yeah, like them. My yeah. hair's kind of on fire for this. So uh, another thing that's been happening, and if you've been around uh, previous episodes, not too far in the past, we talked about a uh, form of prayer called uh, prayer of examine. Right. Made a resource available to you to help with that. That has been truly helpful in my life. There's another thing that I had heard about. I have a friend who's been telling me about for a long time. I never did explore it, play with it, learn about it until recently. And uh, it's called Lectio Divina. Hmm. I heard somebody. uh, Sounds like a Harry Potter spell or something. Yeah, I've done a little research on it. And I saw one guy call it Lectio Divina. Hmm. So I'm not sure if I'm right. Lectio, Lectio, doesn't matter. Is it Latin? These are things I just don't care about. Yeah, Yeah, it is. But it it means divine speech divine no i'm sorry divine reading okay and uh it's a way to engage the bible and god at the same time where you have this god reading experience and it has five ingredients and so i'm going to do is i'm going to give you the five ingredients and then i'm going to walk you through an example really quickly of how this might look how sure. how in fact it did look in one of my recent experiences okay i'm trying to do this twice a day it's messing with my preferred habit of reading the Bible through every year, which I've mm-hmm. done every single year for, uh, man, a long time. 
And um, this doesn't play nicely with reading five, six chapters. It's really better to have a smaller chunk of scripture gotcha. as part of your engagement. That you actually that you spend more time on. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm keeping my daily reading, and then I'm picking out from my daily reading a chunk to have this experience with. Nice. Okay. Okay. So the five steps are first is read. So you, you pick a passage and, um, for the sake of this example, we will use, um, Mark chapter four. Okay. Uh, one particular part of Mark, uh, chapter four, and it is the disciples in a boat with Jesus. Jesus is asleep. The storm is raging. Waters are coming over the boat. Now, these guys are fishermen, so they are familiar with boats and storms and lakes. Right. And they're terrified. And they wake Jesus up, who's in a deep sleep, and they say, do you not care that we perish? Okay? That's the story. Right. And he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And he calms the water. Yeah. Okay. So that's the chunk we're going to use in this example. But So step one is read it. You read it. Step two is you meditate on it. Okay. So you start thinking about that scene. I, I, I'm picturing the kind of boats and I'm imagining how's Jesus not getting totally soaked if these waters are flashing over the boat and he's sleeping through it. Cause they said, it said he's asleep. Is, so he, is there a deck? Is he beneath under the deck? No, he's on top and there's no deck. And so I'm, I'm fascinated. It's almost like Jesus is sleeping to make a point. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, Sue and I gets, Sue gets, you know, it's the thing with us. I fake being asleep a lot. Right. And uh, sometimes I'll fake being dead. I'll, she'll go in the bathroom and when she comes out, I'm laying there and my tongue's hanging out like a dead deer. Yeah. And, uh, so she so just throws something at you. Yeah, or what? yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I feel like Jesus kind of doing that. Like he's faking this sleep thing to make a point, but maybe he's, but it says he's in a deep sleep. Yeah. And, uh, so I imagine the storm. I remember these guys are fishermen. This, this is not, they're not rookies. This is their first rodeo. This right. must, so must been, be genuinely yeah, terrifying. Genuinely terrifying. Um, so you meditate on it. Then the third thing you do is you, you pray. Hmm. So as I'm meditating on this and I'm moving toward prayer, the lines jumped out at me. Why are you so afraid? Mm -hmm. This is what he asked them. He asked them two questions. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Yeah. So I'm thinking, so this is the meditation prayer part. Why am I so afraid? The question is a great question for him to ask because really what he's saying is, I'm right here. Right. Why are you so afraid? I'm right here. Yeah. The answer is with you. My power is with you. Why are you afraid? Yeah. The answer would be, because the storm's going crazy. We're going to sink, you know. <laughs> but you know God is not going to let Jesus sink. Right. Right. Why are you so afraid? So I started meditating. Why am I so afraid? Right now in my life, what are the things that do bring me fear? And why why and, am I afraid? And his question, why are you afraid, is is the same question as the follow-up, do you have no faith? Those that, are really, that's where I went next. Yeah. So first I started thinking about the things that make me afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid they're going to be another COVID shutdown. And what's that going to do to public schools? What's that going to do to kids? What's that going to do to businesses? How's the economy going to recover? And are people going to lose their ever-loving mind? Are we going to see more gun violence and more road rage and more domestic violence because people just can't take another shutdown? Where are we headed with all this? I, I get a little afraid. Sure. I think about that. I start thinking about fears I have for some of my kids or my grandkids. I start thinking about whatever brings me fear. Yeah. And I'm asking myself, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? And then I ask myself, do I still have no faith? And I changed the question to, why do I have no faith? Oh, because the answer, if you're afraid, the answer is yes. Yeah. So why do I have no faith in that scenario? Yeah. So I just spent some time there. So after you meditate and pray, and I'm taking that to God, confessing that I'm afraid. So, so far, read, meditate, pray. Read, meditate, pray. And I'm praying there, God, forgive me for being afraid. God, here's the things I am afraid about, and I'm casting those cares on you. Um, forgive me for not having faith. Teach me to have faith. Mm-hmm. So that's the meditate, pray, read, meditate, pray. The next step, and it's very um, ambiguous. Okay, is to contemplate Christ. Mm. 
Oh, so this is regardless of the passage you're reading. Right. Right. Contemplate Christ. So, um, so I don't, you know, I've not been taught how to do this, sure. so I'm just giving you my experience, but, but to make that and, and most guys say, and give that a couple of moments. And if nothing's happening, then move on. Hmm. But if something starts to happen as you contemplate Christ, roll with it. So in, in this case, Mark, uh, three, he's actually in this passage. So it's a little easier yeah, probably. But when I'm contemplating Christ, I'm contemplating him in my prayer moment of me confessing my fears and me confessing my lack of faith and asking why I don't have faith and I'm imagining him in this physical space with me now. So in this case, I'm sitting in my big overstuffed leather chair. Mm-hmm. And that I'm, I covet daily. Yes. And I'm <laughs> and I'm imagining Jesus in the room with me. And I'm trying to imagine what his facial expressions are. What's he doing in this room with me right now? Is he mad at me? Is he compassionate toward me? Is he moving toward me? Is he sitting across the room listening to me? And I just began to contemplate Christ and, and actually starting to let that imagination take me where it wants to. And I find Jesus actually very compassionate toward me when he's asking me the question, why are you afraid? And do you not have any faith? I'm hearing those questions as compassionate encouragement, not judgmental. Right, his hair's on fire. Right. Or, so yeah. that's the contemplating Christ part. And then you finish the, the fifth part is an action decision. And it, and I do it in an, I will statement. Okay. So I wrote in my journal, I will confront my fears with faith that Jesus is with me. So that's my action step. So I, and that, so then I thank God for helping me create that action step. And that becomes my daily marching order today. I'm going to confront any fears. If I have, if I'm around people who are afraid, I will encourage them. Why are you afraid? Jesus is with us. God's sovereign story is going to unfold if America ceases to exist, it's within the sovereign plan of God. Sure. Whatever goes on, man, God is still in charge. Why are we afraid? Yeah. And uh, let's have faith. So that becomes my I will statement for the day. So when you think about doing this once or twice a day for a week, you end up with some deep meditative experiences with God. You're finding him to be comforting and powering to you. And you have a small list of I will statements to really bring actionable um, change to your life. Yeah. So that's the actual implementation of, you're not just sitting with these ideas. Yeah. It's, if yeah. Jesus is going to spend some time with you and talk to you, I'm going to put that dog in play Yeah. and honor the fact that he took time to be with me. So from the top, it is read, read meditate, pray, contemplate Christ and for make you an action make statement. actions or you're an that I will is the statement. For me, it's an, I will statement, right. but it is to take action gotcha. to, to, to decide the action you're going to put in play. Gotcha. And I like, I will statements because that, not I hope to or I will try. Right. It's uh, more. It's more of a declaration. Yeah. I I will confront my fears uh, with faith. That's awesome, man. I'm finding this to be a real game changer. And and while that sounds lengthy, you do have to throw your watch away, or else you won't have any success with this. Sure. But we're talking ten or fifteen minutes. We're not talking about an hour chanting, burning incense. You know, <laughs> sure. this doesn't have to be like that. And it's amazing what 10 quality minutes with Jesus and his word can do for you with undistracted, full attention. Yeah. So, uh, Lectio Divina, give it a shot, do a little homework on it. There's actually an app, uh, you can get on your phone called Lectio 365. Hmm. They have actual devotions to a day, morning and evening. You can go through those right now. Lectio 365 is in a theme of, um, I think hope and justice. Okay. And so the devotions are around that. They're written from people all over the world. And it walks you through. You can either hit play and listen to it walk you through the Lectio moments, or you can read it. Gotcha. Uh, but that's another tool if that's um, if you're interested. I love this. I'll, I'll definitely give this a try. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for listening today. John, how can people connect to us, find us, whatever? Uh, you can find us primarily at jimandjohn.com. And there you, we have our, uh, you can listen to our podcast there if you prefer it in a browser. Uh, you can see the uh, books that we've books and materials that we've written. You can download a lot of those for free mm-hmm. uh, PDFs of the the ones that uh, uh, you particularly wrote for Evergreen. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a fasting guide, uh, uh, other uh, tools like that. Um, and then otherwise, our Instagram is a good place to get a hold of us, uh, which is also at Jim and John. No H in the John for any of these. You can comment on our weekly post there, uh, or you can email us at info at Jim and John. 
And uh, I think that does it. And coming this week will be our next newsletter. So if you're interested in the newsletter, you can also subscribe at the website for the newsletter. Um, our next version is coming out by the end of this week. So, uh, man, thanks for listening. Tell a friend. We're super grateful. We love you. Awesome. See you guys next week. Thank you.